by Positive. These are your hosts, Mari and Andy. And today we will be talking about Gentleman Jack. The the thing, the concept, the the phenomenon that took Twitter, gay Twitter, lesbian Twitter, mostly and, by storm. And Tumblr also. And Tumblr by storm. So if you don't know, if you've been living under a rock the last couple of months, Gentleman Jack is an HBO and BBC One series about. A real historical figure, the first modern lesbian, um, as she's called, Anne Lister. So, who is Anne Lister? Anne Lister is basically a so. Anne Lister lived between 1791 and 1840, and she was a semi-wealthy landowner and a diarist who whose uh, land was in Halifax in Yorkshire which is now the UK, um, the, um, the land was, the, the property was called uh, Shipton Hall, um, and Anne was notoriously known for meticulously writing down all the details of her life. So she started her journal when she was, I think, either 13 or 15, um, and she continued basically writing down the details of her everyday life, some of which are incredibly boring mm-hmm. and very, very detailed, um, including the number of bowel movements she had. Um, yeah, she was she was thorough. Um, but there is another part to her diary, which was written in a code that she devised. And that code uh, was based on a bunch of Greek letters as well as zodiac signs. Mm-hmm. And she used that code to write about the more intimate details of her life, which is how we know that she was probably a lesbian. Uh, at the time, the language did not exist uh, to call her that, but that she had affections for the fairer sex, as she would put it herself. Yeah, and couldn't see herself with a guy at all. Yeah, she said, I love and only love the fairer sex, so I think that's pretty indicative of um, the, the the kind of person that she was. Uh, and so those pages that were written in code were later deciphered, much later in the 20th century, deciphered by... Her last descendant, I think his name was John Lister or James Lister, something like that. He's not important. Um, he had a friend help him out who was deciphering the code, and when the two of them realized what was written in it, all the very explicit and sordid details mm-hmm. of her affairs with women, um, they decided to hide it. So the cipher and the diaries were hidden again in Shipton until they were once more rediscovered, and now... Uh, they were kind of re, retranslated, and I think translation is still ongoing. And yeah, the, the yeah, it's um, so just yeah, it's translation, almost a transliteration. <laughs> but they uh, yeah, they're still doing it. Oh, not not everything has been done, but the code is available to all though. Yes, and you can do it online. There's even a, a website that translates the code into plain English. So if you want to play around with that, I'll link it in the. In the description to this website, to this podcast, and we are also going to put the um the link towards the podcast that that is there's an interview with the woman who is an advisor on the show, and also I mean has written the book that is that goes with the show, and she's explained she explained how she came to like get interested in like Anlister's life for her master's thesis, mm. and how from there she became like a specialist and starting like working on the diary and translating and trying to make sense of it because the, the language is not always even plain English not always super obvious 
it's maybe a little bit complicated sometimes. So she, she, I mean, how she works on that and this part is very, very, uh, it's very interesting, but not necessarily our uh, main topic today. Well, to understand the the significance of these diaries is you you need to know that it was four million words, um, and ended up being twenty six quarto volumes, which ended uh, a couple of weeks before her death in eighteen forty. Um, so the diaries they not only contain very explicit details of her love life and her sex life, but they also contained um, essential parts of daily life back in the day, so the weather, social events, national events, her business interests, um, etc., etc. And in 2011, Lister's diaries were actually added to the register of the UNESCO Memory of the World Program. Um, so, where do we start with Anne Lister? Yeah. Um, and me, why we wanted to talk about it first, because as we said, she's, uh, I mean, a lesbian, what we, we would call her a lesbian, not bisexual. And this is by positive. <laughs> but still, we wanted to talk about her because for different reasons. Because she's a representation. She's a representa- she's real-life representation. Also, we wanted to talk about the show itself. Um, because also, it's great portrayal of mental health. Um, we can, you know, if we want to stretch it a bit, we can uh, imagine that some of Anne Lister's lover might have been called bisexual. <laughs> Um, but honestly, it's really because it's a pretty amazing show. It's a fascinating char- per, um, person and character in the show, and that the mental health part is very, very interesting, both in the diaries and in the show. And what is also great about the show is that um, it it does star a it does star two straight people, as far as we know, two straight people, and in the main roles of. Um, Anne and Anne, <laughs> the two mm-hmm. love interests. Um, however, Saran Jones, who plays Anne Lister, has been very respectful in talking about the controversy regarding straight actors being invited to play queer roles. Is that she said, you know, queer um, straight actors get a lot of flack for playing um, queer roles because uh, they're the face of the show, and people, a lot of people, don't realize that there's a lot of queer talent that's actually behind the scenes. So the writers the directors, the um, artists, you know, whatever, whatever's behind the show, there's a lot of queer talent there. Uh, but a lot of people don't see that and focus instead on the actors. So it's a bit of a controversial opinion, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also quite interesting. And it's a good reminder for us that a show is not just the actors playing it. It's actually a lot more people. And those people need to be celebrated as well. And as far as portrayal of queer relationships and queer uh, psychology goes, I think the show was very good. Um, and both uh, Saran Jones and Sophie Rundle, who plays the other end, um, they did an amazing, amazing job. Yeah, because to clarify, uh, Anne Lister's main love interest, I mean, at least, may not main love interest in her life, because there were other love stories, mm. the one she married, for lack of other world, because that's really how she um she thought of their relationship and marriage. Mm. Uh, so the one she married was also named Anne. Anne without Walker. Without an E. <laughs> Anne Walker. Yeah, that, that makes it a little bit confusing when we're talking about them. But. So what we, what we know about Anne Lister, I mean, 
Honestly, I highly recommend watching the show and then reading the book, or reading the book and then watching the show, it's entirely up to you, uh, to understand the enormity of her life. But Anne Lister uh, was, like I said, a landowner. She had a hand in the coal mining business, but she was also an adventurer. She went on a lot of trips that a lady of her standing, she wasn't a lady actually, but you know, a, a woman with money and with land of her standing never would have gone on um, without supervision or, or a sort um, chaperoning of a man. She yeah. just went with her maid and her um, and the, the groom. Um, things like hiking up mountains, things like going to uh, Denmark for a quick visit, going to Paris. She experienced a lot of, um, learned a lot of sexual things in Paris. <laughs> Um, because you know the French. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say anything. In that case, I, I take it as a as a positive stereotype. Fair enough. So she she learned a lot of different things on her travels. She met a lot of different people. From what we know, she had about eleven relationships with women over the course of her life. Uh, most of them did not end well, as you might imagine. A lot of the women she was with, they were of higher standing than her, so they had actual titles. Or they had more money, and so um, she kind of tried to insert herself into that that life, and never managed to, mm-hmm. because people would kind of see her as an oddity. Um, and Lister did not dress in a very womanly way uh, for the time. Uh, she would wear, I mean, what we know, because there's only three pictures of her that we have. But she would wear masculine clothes. She described herself as quite manly. She walked in a manly way. Um, so she was really this kind of, for the time, butch stereotype. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people would kind of, and, and on top of that, she also wore black. Um, and she wore black for, I think, over 20 years of her life, if I'm not mistaken, after a very long romance of hers backfired and the woman that she was with ended up marrying someone for title and money. And she decided that she was going to wear black to mourn her loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is so dramatic, um, but so you can imagine this 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 woman who is dressed in manly clothing. She wore men's underwear um, and dressed all in black. She appears at these soirees and completely demolishes every single preconception that people had about women at the time. And so a lot of people saw her as an oddity. A lot of people gossiped behind her back. The the name Gentleman Jack is actually a derogatory term that she acquired in her hometown of Halifax. Um, and so the, the show and the, the consecutive book actually went on to reclaim that term. And her lovers, um, especially Marianne, who's like pretty much the love of her life in some ways, um, yeah. she, she called her Freddie. So she had these very masculine traits, including masculine names, masculine clothing. Uh, she kind of resented not being a man, not because she had dysphoria, as far as we know. Uh, She never explicitly talks about this, but we'll talk about it in a second. Um, But more because the the rights of women at the time were kind of abysmal, and which she kind of talks about in her diary a lot, is that as a landowner, she believes that she should be able to vote. And Anne was quite conservative at the time. Yeah, she wasn't exactly the most progressive person. No, she was a Tory, and she was not 
progressive. She really wanted to retain power in in the uh, the oligarchy, basically. And so she would often tell the people who lived on her land, um, her tenants, how to vote. And of course, because they were afraid to lose their tenancy, they would vote the, the way she said. But she really um, hated the fact that as a woman, she didn't have the right to vote. Whereas with the Reform Act, the people, the, the poorer people, the men on her land would be able to vote. Mm. So you can see that she's, you know, conservative, number one. And number two, really resented the social status of women everywhere. Uh, but in, in Britain at the time, most of all. Um, so let's talk a little bit about her gender expression. Yeah. I mean, because it'd be easy to um, talk about, I mean, to, to, to see um, a Mr. as an androgynous or non-binary um, character. And I think it's very interesting to have representation of a gender non-conforming person at least in her expression but what we know about her would like more would make uh, her more of a butch lesbian than anything else uh, because there's no indication that she ever doubted her gender but was she able of having forming that kind of thoughts at the time it's another question because she was very she invented a lot of things her diary is full of uh, not only code, but also expressions mm-hmm. to talk about things that were not named at the time. Sexual things, mostly? Yeah. <laughs> but there's nothing about gender. About for what has been transcribed. Yeah. So, for her, uh, she explicitly stated that she was more comfortable with, well, what we call today topping, than being on the receiving end of another woman's uh, affections, which we discussed before, mm-hmm. um, before we started recording this podcast. It could be a sign of dysphoria that she didn't really enjoy being touched uh, in an intimate way. At the same time, we need to understand that most of her lovers were women who were not exactly experienced around other women and women who were, you know, well-bred and religious. So they weren't even encouraged to experiment with their own bodies, Mm. which she did quite a lot. (laughs) Um, She was really a free thinker. She was a really free thinker and she had, she, I mean, this is going to be quite explicit. So kids, you know, what you want me to do. Tons of spoilers, but yeah. Yeah. But I mean, this is actually not really mentioned in the, in the show, but she masturbated quite a lot. She fantasized about uh, women, women that she knew quite a lot. Um, I believe she called, she she would uh, call it incurring a cross with uh, with someone, so she would uh, basically put down a cross and put down the name of the person that she fantasized over on the top of the page of her daily diary. Um, she experimented with anal sex because she was curious as to how much pleasure, quote-unquote, sodomy could bring. Because uh, at the time, you need to remember that men were persecuted and hung, or hanged, uh, for, for um, um, sodomy. And women weren't, so she existed in this gray area, whereas, you know, morally speaking, at the time, the public would have condemned her and potentially uh, persecuted her for her sexual behavior, but because it wasn't explicitly stated in the law that women couldn't be with other women, it was a little bit of a, yeah, she existed in this legal gray area, which allowed her to get away with a lot of things. Yeah. Um... So we need to remember that at the time she was with women who were not experienced. So perhaps she also preferred to top because she didn't want to 
make them uncomfortable or she just wanted to get off by herself, which is fair yeah. enough. Um, but, I mean, she, she's the top, she's the top. Like, it's hard to say based on the diaries and what we know of. But also, I don't think that it has, hasn't been deciphered yet. Yeah. So maybe she actually enjoyed uh, receiving also this, like, the long-term partner that she had. I think, I hope, <laughs> with time, got more experienced. Um, but... Yeah, so that might that was just uh, the, the the point that it might be a sign of dysphoria when mm-hmm. we're trying to talk about gender identity. But yeah, what we know what we know, she would be probably more she would probably more identify as a good lesbian mm. today. Uh gender non-conforming inner expression, but not necessarily inner identity. Mm. But it's nonetheless a very welcome um representation both real life and on CV, representation of gender non-conforming behavior. Yeah. When it comes to her own queerness, um, because at the time, you know, you would think that homosexual behavior was immoral and unnatural against God and yada, yada, yada. She was of strong Anglican faith. However, she herself did not see her sexual behavior as a deviation from the word of God, which at the time most people would have. Mm. Uh, what she said in her diary was that uh, she, this was the, the way God had created her. Mm. And thus she, you know, for her to be with a man would actually be going against her nature, which I think is quite forward thinking and quite groundbreaking mm. when you think about it. Because at the time, you know, someone who was gay was regarded as a freak of nature. And she embraced it. And she lived at a time where she had to uh, endure so much minority stress. Mm. Like, as a, as a, I mean, as a, as a, as a gay woman, she was under so much. And it's like social pressure, mm. but she did find resources to fight it, and her faith and her conviction that she was as God made her, and that you don't argue with God, <laughs> that helped her. And, yeah. And um, to add to that, here's a very nice quote from the book. It's not from her direct diary, but it is from the book. Um, so when she first met uh, Anne Walker, who would later become her wife, or her companion, I suppose. Um, for her, it was her, she was for, her for her, it was her She was her wife, yes. Um, and Walker herself had no idea what she was doing because she was 29, she was wealthy, her entire family wanted her money, and she was also, at the time, what, what was called hysterical. Um, so she was, she was mentally unwell, she probably had a lot of anxiety, she probably had some sort of post-traumatic stress um, associated with abuse. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, so she was not mentally well, and she was quite sickly, physically, which probably was somatic. Um, and so when Anne and Anne met, Anne Walker, the younger one, was very confused and she didn't really understand her sexuality. And for Anne Lister, she was quite frustrated about it. She wrote about it in her, in her diary that she was losing her patience um, because she really saw Anne Walker as a potential wife in the way that men at the time would see women as potential wives. So not only a union of love, which at the time love was kind of not, not required, yeah. um, 
but also as someone that she could share her fortune with. And Lister was in a lot of debt. She didn't really have that much money of her own. So being with someone who had a yearly allowance that was three times higher than her own would have been a really big deal for her, considering she also wanted to go into the coal mining business. And so it was It was also not just a, a union of affection, which in the beginning it really wasn't for her, but it was also a union of convenience. And so Anne Walker was reluctant. Uh, she was not necessarily coerced into the relationship, but she really didn't know how it would work. Um, and Anne Lister expressed her, um, her frustration with that. Um, and now I'm going to quote from the book. Anne's assessment of this queer girl and her erratic behavior reflects the disparity in the two women's abilities to process their liaison. It was more than the fact that Anne Lister had experienced lesbian relationships before. It was that she had engaged in years of introspection and analysis to understand her place in the world. Anne's diary, and particularly her crypt hand, had long provided the comfort of a space in which she could explore her deepest emotions and form her complicated identity. She had resolved her Christianity with her sexuality. She had found precedence for her own desires and studies of classical literature. As much as she was led by her heart, the decisions she made were painstakingly weighed up, considered, and rationalized. Her journal was a form of daily therapy. It gave her the space to challenge her own behavior that, and that of others. It was an important tool that helped to smooth her path to personal happiness. So we talked about narrative therapy before. But, I mean, that's basically what Anne Lister was doing. And it was kind of awesome to first, I mean, first we watched the show, to, so to see it on screen and be like, yeah, that's exactly what we do with our clients. It's rationalizing a story, rewriting a story, making the story congruent with how one feels. Um, so she was probably unknowingly uh, improving her own mental health by processing all of these things, whereas her counterpart, or counterpart Anne Walker, really wasn't because she didn't have a space to express herself. And her only point of reference at the time was religion. So when she and Anne Lister began their romance, she would routinely have nightmares and what we would probably see as delusions about religion and how there would be religious punishment for their actions. And Anne Walker herself has a very interesting story because she was a woman of her time. She was a young heiress. So you can imagine how much extended family she had that wanted to get their hands on her money. Mm. And um, she was also sexually harassed and abused mm. by a close friend of the family, or rather the husband of the close friend that she had, who later, when the friend passed away, wanted to marry her. And at least in the show, the way she expresses herself the way she tries to shield the man from the culpability for what he had done mm -hmm. really does echo very well with how most victims of sexual abuse and assault would experience shame and blame themselves for what happened. And yeah, that's what is very interesting in this show is the mental health portrayal. Um, because you can see on one side Anne Lester, who is extremely resilient, is also a brilliant person who found resources by herself because she was uh, educated and had access to it. As you say in, in the book, she, she found examples in classical literature of uh, her sexual orientation. Mm. So representation matters. 
And then she basically used um, her own set of, her own brand of narrative therapy for the diaries. And she doesn't, even if it's very rational, she also doesn't shy away from her own feelings and emotions. Because she does express them in the diaries, even though they're the, then she, she tries to rationalize it. It's, so we have this one who has, who has very interesting coping strategies, um, pretty naturally. Was also like helped by her actually very accepting family. Yeah. Which is surprising, but what we see in the show is I think congruent with what was in the diary yeah. that um her father, aunt who raised her and her sister are overall accepting of, of her weird ways. Mm. And not only her sexuality but also everything about her. Because <laughs> she was unusual in every way. And she was also kind of a bit of an asshole. Oh yeah. Um, she 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 really behaved like a like a man of her time sometimes, so she could have like absorbed the consideration for others. Um, but so we have so which was actually probably probably protecting her, not in the healthiest way, but it was protecting her. And then on the other hand, you see like her her future wife, who even though she was originally like more of a marriage of interest. I mean, the one she was interested in for the money and for the connection, she also grew to really actually love. And they distressed when things weren't exactly uh, going to... Uh, when she thought that things weren't, weren't going to work out between them. Uh, so this other, Anne Walker, you can see like the, the, the weight. She literally carried the weight of her trauma. And there's... You can very well infer that what's going on for her is minority stress as a probably lesbian as well. Because she at least in the show she says that she was never interested in men. Um you can see that she also lost a lot of people in her family. Her parents passed in a in an accident. So a lot of unresolved grief and sexual assault. And the the, the way she's like yeah, depressed actually. And also the nightmares and everything, we could really see it as some kind of uh, post-traumatic um, symptoms that might have been triggered, but also a relationship with uh, with Anne, because of course it uh, it triggers their ambivalence feelings and and um, beliefs. It's it's very interesting, and and the show at least is very well done as to the, as to how she's she's coping with it all, and how. She's she's all of her um, post traumatic symptoms are uh, also triggered when the the her rapist because it was he was the rapist comes back in her life and wants to marry her and how she's both horrified by the prospect but also has internalized the idea that she was to blame yeah. for the indiscretion where they rape yeah. uh, and that she had to marry him that she didn't have a choice. And it's very interesting to see how it went because I think what's portrayed in the show is very much what happened in real life. Is that Anne Lister actually managed to make her make Anne Walker talk, but also accepted what she had to say and helped her to understand that she was actually the victim in that situation. And she was not to blame for. And this whole interaction and how the acceptance of uh, Anne Lister helped Anne Walker deal with this trauma but then there were so many other trauma in her life mm. that she was struggling with the mental health 
she her her best years were were her years with uh, Alistair, with what we know historically. Yeah. Um, and then she uh she had more issue after Alistair's uh, death. But yeah, it's 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 extremely well done. Well, before we move on to Alistair's death, which is a sad moment because she died at the age of forty nine. Um, let's talk about the wedding. So why do we call Anne Walker her wife? Because at the time, as we all know. Um, there were no gay weddings. So, um, Anne Walker moved in to Shipton Hall, Lister's estate, in 1934. And in the show, which is something I really loved about the show, is that they had this very dramatic reunion um, after Anne Walker returned from Scotland and told her entire family to stick it. Um, in reality, it wasn't as romantic, but I think... What both of us talked about and appreciated in the show is that it was really this kind of Bronte-esque moment where the two lovers finally meet each other and it's also romantic and it's a beautiful view and they're overlooking the property and they exchange kisses and, you know, I love you, I love you. And I think it's just really great to see that in a queer context, regardless of whether it was real or not. Yeah, the, 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 the real way they reunited was not as dramatic yeah but well but i think seeing a dramatized version of this it's like you know pride and prejudice style uh you know regency time fluff that we really needed to see at the time and so you know what who cares if it wasn't real it was a very heartwarming moment spoiler alert they do end up together um but in reality ann lister and ann walker were very different people and ann walker continued to struggle with her mental health all throughout her life and Anne Lister wanted to travel, so a lot of the times they were, yeah, very, very opposite each other in these, um, in these kinds of things. They ended up traveling. They went all the way up to Georgia, which was where um, Anne Lister got sick. Uh, before that, they got married. They exchanged. Uh, they took the sacrament together in a, a Holy Trinity Church in York uh, in 1934. Um, they took their marriage quite seriously, and Anne Lister called Walker her particular friend. Um, she didn't uh, have any other affairs with women, as far as we know, after that, because she took that marriage quite seriously. And now that church in York actually has a blue plaque on it as a historical site where the first queer marriage was celebrated. So there we go. Mm-hmm. And um, they also remade their wills so that the surviving spouse would get the 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 what 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 was owned by the other one yeah however the outside world didn't take their wills so seriously and lister uh died uh, while traveling in georgia she caught some sort of infection she stopped writing in her diary a few weeks before she died which was indicative of the fact that she was quite ill because she loved writing in her diary and uh her body was returned back uh to to the uk um, uh, and Anne Walker, um, ended up dying, um, a little bit later than that. She died in 1854, so 14 years after, uh, Anne Walker's death. However, before that, she had a lot of mental health issues. She ended up being cared for in a, what was at the time a mental health facility, uh, for insanity. And her will was actually never taken seriously because she was considered unstable and so she couldn't make a proper will. Yeah. And so it really shows that I think it's quite 
ironic, I suppose, that Anne Lister died quite young, um, but while traveling in a country where, you know, two women traveling together in what was at the time Russia, Tsarist Russia, it was quite weird and quite, yeah, queer. And Anne Walker ended up slipping back into her mental illness and actually died quite unhappy. Mm. Um, it, I think it really shows how much resilience is necessary all throughout one's life. And even if one has a very happy moment or a few happy years with another person, they cannot rely on that person to be their everything. Um, yeah. So it's a bit of a sad ending, I suppose. I mean, that's life. Yeah, that's that's why it's uh, that's why it's life and not fiction. But in any case, I think I mean for me it's still hopeful because they got to live the love story. Mm. They got to live as they were. I mean, they had this rare chance of being as public as possible to actually feel that the their marriage their union was right. At least for Anne Lister, mm. which is unthinkable at the time, and it's still not that easy today. So it is still a good, very good example, and yeah, also some lessons can be learned of about uh, don't don't rely only on your spouse to be happy, <laughs> because that doesn't work. Um, it's not really uh, sustainable, but yeah, they did. They try to be themselves, at least both of them, in the different ways. Um, and, you know, I think it's very... Um, it may be a bit cheesy. Mm. But I find that also very inspiring that someone has an apologetic as an unlister, which is a quality for her, but also what makes her an asshole sometimes. Um, because she is probably um, not the kind of person who would question herself. Uh, that the person that was so strong-minded will also be so accepting and supportive of her spouse. Yeah, despite having had reservations about her in the first place. Yeah, I think um, I think it just goes to show that despite her rigidity in a lot of aspects, including her money and land and politics. She was also quite flexible, very flexible for the time, and she really wanted to make to bend the world to her will and not the other way around, which is kind of inspiring. And I think there there are a few lessons to be learned from Anne Lister's life. Perhaps it wasn't an ideal life. Perhaps it's not. She's not someone to look up to in all ways, but that's what makes her such an icon. I think is because she was really human. But she was she was real because she's real. I mean, yeah. She's, <laughs> She's a real person, and she wrote so much about her life that we understand her very well. I think that's that's it, because, you know, when you read about historical figures in books, you only know very small details of their lives, really. You just know their biographies. So what does a biography tell you? Pretty much nothing mm. about the kind of person that they were. But because we have four million words that, that tell us, you know, very, very explicit details of her life, we really do know, can get to know her, more than we would any other historical figure. And her diaries are been uh, been uh, protected by the UNESCO now. Yeah. As because they are of great historical and cultural significance. It's and as you know, there's a lot about Anne but the show Gentleman Jack that we were it was our starting point. Yeah. Um, there will be a second season. Uh, 
studying, yeah, like uh, I think uh, probably telling her life after her marriage. Because mm. her first, the first season about the the year, years just before her marriage. Um, this uh, the show itself is very inspiring. It's empowering. It's funny. It's hilarious. And it's amazing. Uh, I mean, it's great representation uh, in my eyes. Uh, even if, uh, of course, here we're talking normally about bisexual people, mm. and both of the main characters are um, are lesbians, for what we understand of that of their sexuality, but they're still very inspiring. And um, the mental health part is very well portrayed. Not to mention that the show itself is visually gorgeous with costumes and amazing music. The outro song is great, and the intro song is great too. Um, and you can find a lot of materials online about how they actually made the show and how, how much they tried to reference the source material. So I think it's a really thorough job by people who were passionate about it. And this is the kind of representation we deserve, yeah. you know, because we have gotten so much media that has been half-assed for the sake of a queer audience. It's time for us to have our Regency romance with Mr. Darcy and... Whatever her name was, because I never actually read it. Oh my god, this. is that a bad? <laughs> I'm so oh sorry. my god, I love Jane Austen, and honestly, for me, it it I think it's also why it's so amazing to see this uh, the 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 queer part of it, the the the, the queer counterpart of, in real life, it's even better, Jane Austen. But then, according to Doctor Who, Jane Austen had a thing with Clara. So, anyways. Go watch the show if you still haven't. It is on HBO, but be aware that HBO has cut out a couple of scenes which involve some lesbian smooching, so look for the BBC One. Um BBC One version. Um and take a look at the book as well. The book is called Gentleman Jack, The Real and Lister by Anne Cromo with a foreword by Sally Wainwright. The source uh, creator of the show. So and um yeah and also give you like some a couple of other articles and resources about gentleman Jack. And we will talk to you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.